How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Reasonably Outrageous. My name is Blake Pace alongside Matt Weirich, and we're finally talking about all three sports that we like to cover in the same episode. Uh, Matt, you know, it's been a long time. We've we've spent, you know, the last, it seemed, month and a half basically just doing all football. We'd sprinkle in a little baseball. But we've got some bit, uh, basketball as well to talk about, so we're getting all three sports finally back in here, probably the first time since... What late June, yeah, early July? Like that. I don't. It had to have been towards because free agency died down pretty quickly after all the big names dropped. So it's at least since then. It's since but, since uh, we talked about um, Anthony Davis basically bullying Lakers. I think that was the last. Yes, time there we, did. we go. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. We uh, we talked about um, the center situation there with Dwight exactly. Howard, and then he ended up signing. Exactly. So there we go. Yeah. So it hasn't been that yeah. long, but still a long time since we've included all three in the same episode. But before we get into that, Matt, how you doing? Pretty good, man. Um, just came from an office party, loaded up on fancy Ooh. food I cannot afford. Uh, so that was great. <laughs> I was telling them that um, they were like, every, all my coworkers were like, go home, you know, bring a bunch of a box with you, take as much food as you can. And I'm like, are you kidding? I've got hot pockets waiting for me at home. What can't? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what would I? Why would I do that? So uh, I have some yeah. some fancy dates uh, sitting next to me. I was yeah. telling you about that Ooh. before the show. It's uh, yeah, they're they're pretty good. Not gonna lie, I don't think I've had dates before. So this is uh, this, yeah, I don't think I have either. It's taken it to a whole a new level. Guy. But uh, yeah. you're not a date guy at hey. multiple levels, aren't you, Blake? Uh, yeah, no, oh, I'm not. Shit. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to, to pay for women to go on dates and eat food for free. Just so you all know, Blake not, is not dating material. Just got to put that out there. Uh, oh, no. I, dude, I totally agree with you. I was in a relationship for almost two years, and after I got out, I was like, man, I put that girl probably through misery for two years. I, I'm not a relationship guy. Maybe I will be down the road. I think I take it from my father, honestly. My dad waited until he was 40 years old to get married. Wow. Uh, and then had me at 43. I just think that he kind of passed down the the, the long bachelor life. So I'm definitely uh, a guy that projects myself marrying late and then also probably marrying a little bit younger, hopefully, too. So we'll keep that. <laughs> well, good luck, we'll keep man. keep fingers I crossed on that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also what you were saying about the snacks at home, it's funny because I was just eating uh, Ritz crackers and putting peanut butter on nice. it to be fancy. Nice. So, wow. so we're living lavish oh, over yeah. here. But uh Let's dive into the episode now. We've had our small talk banner for the day. Um, We're talking basketball. We're going to get in, um, but we're not specifically talking about the NBA because, boy, oh, boy, uh, Team USA uh, has been pretty underwhelming this summer. Um, Of course, they were kind of having trouble throughout the entire season getting actually, you know, a, a collective team of... Of, of talented players. Of course, you know, the, the NBA is always full of talented players, but, you know, you weren't getting your major headlines in here. Um, and, and they were stumbling through the early stages. Uh, they lost to, you know, a, a practice, um, you know, a, a, an interleague, or sorry, they, they, the, the B team, I guess, uh, for the United States. And then when they got into play, um, you know, France upset them and, and, you know, took them down by 10 points in the quarterfinals. And that forced a consolation game against Serbia, which... Then the United States lost again. So a lot of dysfunction. Um, their uh, their 
winning streak of 58 games in FIBA competition uh, that began in t- 2006 uh, broke down. Matt, you know, it's we talk about the value of of the um, the NBA season as opposed to doing these these extra activities uh, in the summer. A lot of the players have gone just because of the wear and tear of their careers. If they can eliminate, uh, you know, a couple months of play. Uh, and they can just practice, condition, and train instead of being out there on the floor and maybe getting injured again and, and just putting on those extra mileage. Uh, they, they don't want to do that. And that's why we're left with a team of, you know, you know, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, not bad guys on there, but, you know, younger guys that are maybe hoping to take momentum from the summer into the season. But it, it, it hasn't worked out for them. The team hasn't looked all that great. And, uh, you know, Matt, what are, your, what are your thoughts on how this has been shaping up for Team USA? You know, I do think there is value in these tournaments, in the, in the Olympics and in FIBA, uh, representing your country. I mean, the Olympics goes back, thou- I don't even know how many years, it's, it's thousands of years, right? The, the history of the Olympics. I mean, uh, we're talking about Greece way back when and then the torches. <laughs> and, yeah, Greece. I mean, this is something that's been going on for centuries. Uh, it is absolutely valuable to win a gold medal, and I think that's something that should go into a player's uh, Naismith Hall of Fame uh, case when talking about whether or not they deserve to be a Hall of Famer is, is whether or not they won. Carmelo Anthony. Exactly. <laughs> the gold <laughs> standard for that, no pun intended. Um, you know, I, I do think that there is, it is important to, to represent your country and to play in, in these tournaments. And, and it's disappointing um, that USA wasn't able uh, to continue this streak and win the tournament. But in the grand scheme of things, does the fact that they lost matter I don't think so. I mean, US, USA has such a reputation in basketball as being the best in the world, and everybody knows that all of the greatest players aren't playing in this tournament. Uh, so, you know, the the expectations had to be tempered as such, and, you know, France is a pretty mm-hmm. good team. It's got guys like Rudy Gobert and Evan Fournier uh, who had great games uh, as France beat USA uh, by 10 points, but... You know, overall, I, I wasn't expecting the, the Americans to win this thing. It would have actually been an upset for once, which would have been cool uh, if, if, if the Team USA really did go on to win it. But, you know, I think the bigger picture problem for me is, are we going to see this every time now? Are we going to see all of the best players sit out and not play? Because we already see that. Um, in in the the baseball world classic, I believe it's called, uh, where a lot of the best players don't end up playing uh, because it it cuts into spring training uh, the way they have it set up. I mean, this doesn't actually cut into any kind of NBA schedule. Uh, it really just you know is is you're supposed to be your summer workouts and things like that. And I, I get that people are are a little bit weary of that, but it kind of concerns me the number of players that decided not to represent their country this year. It's a little disappointing. I'm not somebody who is all about teaming, uh, tuning in to watch these games. I'm typically watching the highlights the next day, but you know, just to know that so many players chose not to represent the United States, uh, that's, I don't know, that's a little bit concerning for me, especially moving forward mm-hmm. as far as the next tournament goes. I really hope that we get back on track and we have our A-team players you know, playing in the tournament. Right, you know, you would you would expect that that by next year when the Summer Olympics come around and they've already qualified, so there's no worries about that. But you would expect that this team, you know, would feature next year, uh, you know, some of you know the MVP, you know, former MVPs, top of the line NBA players. I would expect it to maybe not have all of them, but you know, I could imagine a decent amount of those guys joining for the Olympics. I think in terms of it being a lesser competition for the FIBA World Cup, um, that you know that. You know, this team had 
uh, zero all-NBA performers from this past year, or maybe it just had one, if I'm thinking correctly. But, you know, to go from that, I think by next year we'll add in a much better-looking uh, roster. But, you know, what? what is interesting is, is that people, you know, and I, I'm countering what I was just saying about how players want to... Uh, you know, get rid of that wear and tear and not have to put that pressure on them in, in the off season. You know, we've seen summer performances like these really carry, uh, you know, into a player's career. You know, the biggest example is uh, Manu Ginobili, who, you know, lit it up uh, in the 2004 Olympics, and it brought his career to a different level. Manu Ginobili was a different player after that summer, and it really began the trajectory of his career to a whole nother level. And, you know, if you want to take a look at some of the other guys, you know, if you wanted to bet on it, you know, Bojan Bogdanovic, he, he looked great in the game against Serbia, or in um, today's loss for the United States against Serbia. And, and so you would imagine that, you know, he could carry that momentum. He's been great all tournament. You could see that kind of develop into next year where maybe he's playing a huge key role for the Kings. Now, I'm not saying he's going to have the trajectory of Manu because Manu, you know, is, is an all-time great, but... Bogdanovich should have a good rhythm going into the regular season. So it's weighing the positive and the negative. And I, I think what it comes down to is age. And so if you're a younger, if you're a younger rising star, go ahead and play these games. You, you know, you have, uh, you know, we're finding out as careers go on that we, thanks to sports medicine and rehab and, and you know, diet, these players can last longer and longer throughout their careers. And so, Yes, you don't want that wear and tear for a three-month period that, oh, yeah, well, you know, we, we won a World Cup. Congratulations. I want to win a title and make millions of dollars, uh, you know, performing well on an NBA court. But you also have to think that there is some for those younger stars like Bogdanovich, like Manu when he was younger, that it can carry your career to a whole nother level where you're playing some great um, basketball. And the big thing, the one guy in the United States roster that I think will actually have a, a huge impact on is Donovan Mitchell because he ran a lot of... Um, a lot of the point throughout the tournament, and I think that that's something that he talked about with, um, oh, who's our, who's the, Brian Windhorst. He mm-hmm. had an interview with Windhorst talking about how, um, you know, he's using this summer to kind of get down his ball handling skills and his court vision, so maybe he can run some of the point, you know, when Mike Conley is on the bench, or maybe Mike Conley is sliding over and giving the, you know, the point guard responsibilities to Donovan Mitchell. It, he's, you know, using this summer to kind of get that kind of amped up in his career where he can be that combo guard, so... There are still positives for doing it. I don't blame the older players. You know, if you're LeBron James, if you're, you know, Kevin Durant's injured, of course, so he wouldn't have been able to play anyways. But any of the top players that are old, that have had injuries before, you know, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, I, I, I wouldn't expect them to come play for the FIBA World Cup. It will be interesting to see what kind of roster they can build uh, in, in time for the Summer Olympics next year because I, I would expect it to at least have... Um, you know, some all-NBA talent, uh, you know, some first-team all-NBA talent on it. Yeah, I think the Olympics will definitely get more people than the FIBA World Cup will, and, uh, you know, that makes sense to me. I'm not I'm not overly worried. I'm just, you know, if we do see this in the Olympics as well, because at the end of the day, the Olympics are, you know, they get a small stipend for winning a gold medal or a bronze medal, silver medal, whatever. You know, that's pretty insignificant compared to, these all NBA talents contracts. I mean, you talk about a young player, it's oh, certainly yeah. worth it for them. You know, they get a nice little bump uh, in their pay, uh, paycheck. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's about money for a lot of these players. And it's about, 
you know, if, if they do get hurt in these tournaments, that could cost them millions of dollars as NBA free agents um, or uh, the chance at winning an NBA title and really cementing their legacy. Because at the end of the day, these players care more about what happens in the NBA than a symbolic FIBA World Cup, you know, victory. And I, I get it. I totally understand why they're doing it. I just, you know, it kind of hurts me that the, the symbolicness of it does is it more important uh, to a lot of these stars? And uh, you say what you will about FIBA, that's fine. But if we see this for the Olympics as well, I I'm gonna probably go on a lot more profanity laced rant um, about you know how I, there there should there's meaning to representing your country and in winning um, you know these these games. I mean the, the idea behind it was you know even if these countries are fighting each other in war. Uh, you know, they're coming out in, in peaceful uh, athletic competition to put your best athletes against theirs. And, uh, you know, that that gives a sense of pride to your country when, you know, you win the Olympics. I mean, the United States has been uh, among the best uh, athletes in the world for, for decades now. And it's a lot of fun to, to watch guys like Michael Phelps go out and, you know, absolutely kill it in the water. Katie Ledecky, another swimmer who, you know, just everybody recognizes their name. Gymnastics, a sport you'll never care about uh, any other time of the year other than mm-hmm. the Olympics. Uh, you know, skiing, bobsledding, um, curling, all that kind of stuff, the, the sports that aren't mainstream in the United States, they are able to get that spotlight in the Olympics, and that's incredible. Uh, but at the end of the day, the fact that basketball is is a sport that America really excels in, has excelled in uh, since its inception, it was created in our country, I feel like we should make it a priority to be going out there and, and winning these gold medals. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual players' decisions, and the veterans are going to make the decisions that are best for their careers, so I understand it. And it certainly gives opportunities for younger players to step up and make a statement yeah. about themselves. But at the end of the day, it's about you know winning and, and, and you know representing your country well, and I feel like there should be more veterans who, who place a higher stock in that. And, you know, another thing that's weird, too, is the selectiveness of them choosing this team. Um, And, and, you know, I I said his name earlier kind of in a joking manner, but Carmelo Anthony expressed interest in joining this team. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't – they didn't want him. The team said no. And and let me just put this out there. The team has a Plumlee on it. Like, Mason Plumlee is playing for Team USA. And you want to tell me that Carmelo Anthony couldn't, you know, provide a little bit more on the court than Mason Plumlee? I know they're a little desperate. At, you know they're a little thin at center. That's actually why they ended up losing to France. Is you know I, you know Rudy Gobert absolutely dominated Miles Turner. So you know maybe they you know I mean I guess he's really the only true second center, uh, which is crazy to think about. That oh no sorry Brooke Lopez is on there too. I was skipping over his name, but if you have Brooke Lopez and Miles Turner, I don't need a Plumlee on that team. Give me Carmelo Anthony. He's done so much for. Um, you know, not the NBA, but for, for Team USA. I mean, he's, you know, trying true that, that he's the gold standard, like you were saying, for Olympic basketball. Um, and, and so having him on there with all these young guys would have just been a, a really cool tandem to see. Um, you know, Melo certainly would care for it a lot. Not to say that these other players don't, but you could get some kind of rally around that. Um, so I thought that, you know, the selection process was definitely interesting. Um, of course, you know, bringing in a guy like Derek White. I know Greg Popovich... Um, on that team, and he wants, you know, he probably wanted at least one spur to be playing uh, for Team USA. So getting a young guy like Derek White, you know, some other young guys, uh, you know, Joe Harris, Harrison Barnes, which actually, Harrison Barnes, dude, he's 27 already. Is he really? Um, which is super weird. Wow. Oh, and whoa, Joe Harris is 28. 
So they're not even they're not even old, they're young guys anymore. Like they're probably some of the older guys on the team now that I'm looking at it. But geez, you know, just the selectiveness of the team is interesting too, because um, you know you think about all the stars that said no, and that's been a big storyline too. But you know, I guess Melo is not an NBA team, and you know, there's a, we could go down conspiracy theories of why that's happening uh, around the NBA. But um, you know, I just thought that was a little selective and. You know, it'll be interesting. I, I'm. I think the other, the last point that I wanted to mention with this whole topic is that you know I I'm kind of more interested in a summer Olympics team when there's a story like this. Um, you know, when 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 the when the dominant team of of you know Kevin Durant, LeBron James, all the greats are playing out there at the same time, it, it's it's really not fair. You know, to 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 watch you know Team USA just go through and dominate. So now you know you get the little bit slip up the year before. You bring in some big guns uh, between now and the in the 2020 Olympics, and we see what goes out there. So, uh, you know, as weird as it is, and I, I, I truly don't watch that much Olympic basketball, I, I'm more intrigued to see now the team has such a low bar where it goes between now and next year and how they can, uh, you know, try and pull things out in the Olympics. Yeah, and, and it's no, it's noticeable or, or notable to, to talk about here the players who accepted uh, an offer to play and then withdrew. There are plenty of players who oh, didn't yeah. even accept offers like LeBron never even said he would play for the team. So he's not even considered a player who withdrew. Um, here's, here's a list of the players who withdrew. Marvin Bagley, Bradley Beal, Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, De'Aaron Fox, Eric Gordon, James Harden, Montrez Harrell, Tobias Harris, Kyle Kuzma, Damian Lillard, Kevin Love, Kyle Lowry, CJ McCollum, Paul Millsap, Julius Randle, and PJ Tucker. I mean, that right there just shows you the number of players. Yeah, he was given given an offer like and said, "Nah." Like what? Like what are you busy doing? <laughs> Montrez Harrell, come on, man. I mean, what are you you're not a bad player, but right like Marvin Bagley. I mean, this was an opportunity, man. Um, and, oh. it, it, it's annoying because and not even and, like if you're. It's one thing to just say no and not even you know take an offer, but but for these guys who said they would play and then backed out. I mean, you yeah. know, that's really what, what what grinds my gears a little bit is is just the the team had to adapt on the fly, and you know it turned out to be a mm-hmm. team of Celtics and everybody else um, with right. uh, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and Jalen Brown all on the team um, playing significant roles. But you know, it just it it really it really bothered me that that many players said yes and then backed out because that's it's, it's just disrespectful. You know, it, you made a commitment, stick to it. Yeah, and even for the younger guys, you know, for the experience that you can gain from that otherworldly coaching staff there, if you're a guy that's Marvin Bagley, spend a summer with Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr. They're not going to come coach the Kings anytime yeah. soon, so learn from these guys. Take what you can from some of the best coaches in the game because that's a great period for you to really improve on different aspects of your game, you know, whether it's Bagley's defense or, or you know, uh, you know, Montrez Harrell, you know, improving on his physicality, you know, on the interior. There's just each of these guys could take so much at the young stages of their career that could really put it in a different way, especially when there's such great coaches. You know, I I consider Greg Popovich probably at the at the end of the day, I think he'll go down as the greatest coach of all time. Um, just, you know, how sustainable he's been without with whatever team is on there. And so to say that you spent a summer with him and you got all of, you know, his wisdom brought down on you for a couple months and you saw your game improve. Um, if you're 22, 23, what else are you doing in this summer that, that, that really, um, you know, is more valuable? Well, they've got one game left and it's going to come at Poland. 
uh, or against Poland uh, in two days, September 14th. That would be Saturday at 4 a.m. So if you'd care to tune in, uh, <laughs> all you uh, – I actually watched more of Team Japan than I did Team USA in this tournament because uh, the Wizards' top draft pick, Rui Hashimura, uh, was representing Team Japan, and he had an outstanding tournament. Um, between the tournament and the consolation games, um, you know, he put Ursan Ilyasova on a poster. Uh, it just – had a you know drop thirty a couple times. He he looks like a lot of fun. Slash Japan is is a bad team. They got swept in the um what is what is that first uh, round called the group stage. They got swept yeah. in that group stage. Uh, it was pretty bad. But um, Hachimura was like the lone bright spot for them. So he got the ball a lot, and it was exciting for the Wizards fan to see him you know get the chance to, to control the court a little bit and you know get a taste mm-hmm. of what he's going to be like on the Wizards. That's another thing is is you know the rookies who get to play on on some of these smaller teams. That's a lot of fun to watch. But um, you know uh, I wasn't like like you said I wasn't all in on Team USA this year. Yeah. Um, I, I I did tune in in previous years. Not not religiously or anything, but when it was on or when the highlights were up, I'd definitely check it out. But like I said, it's just disappointing, you know, that, that so many players mm-hmm. backed out. Yeah, and so, you know, fortunately a few weeks, training camp will pick back up, and the next thing you know will be into the NBA season. But we're going to switch things up. We talked about players, marquee, you know, best players in the league probably sitting out uh, this past summer to avoid injury. We've got one of the best players in all of baseball that unfortunately is going to uh, miss the remainder of the season, and that's... Uh, the Brewers outfielder, Christian Yelich. Uh, he fractured his kneecap on Tuesday night against the Miami Marlins. Of course, the reigning MVP uh, fouled the ball during his uh, at-bat in the top of the first inning, so getting things right off with an injury. He doesn't need surgery, um, but he's out for the season. The Brewers were making that push, man. They were right in the thick of things for the wild card, and actually I believe they're still maybe only a half game out the last time I checked mm-hmm. earlier today. Um, so, you know, Matt... Uh, the law of the land. What's what's the impact right now? Uh, and going through as the Brewers try and stay within this race. Yeah, well, the Brewers won today, um, beat the Marlins three to two, so they are now tied with the Cubs uh, for that second wild card spot. They've actually won seven straight games, uh, have been on fire lately, and I think this was game two without Yelich now, um, which the Cubs mm-hmm. almost blew uh, a 4 nothing lead in the ninth to the Padres. I was listening to that on the radio on the way home from work today. They, have, they were up 4 nothing, and the Padres loaded the bases uh, with Manny Machado at Ooh. the plate. Um, actually hit him with a pitch, but ultimately they get out of it. Yu Darvish was excellent, um, had a great yeah, game. But, um, you know, the Brewers... I think of the teams in the wild card race right now, if I had a power rank them, which um, if I if, if we're looking at the teams in the in the wild card race in the National League, I would say it's the Nats at the top, uh, followed by the surprise pick here, Arizona Diamondbacks. I think are the number two team yeah. with the way they've been playing. Uh, they have lost on. five straight, uh, so that's not exactly great. But their plus oh, sixty geez. run differential uh, puts them up there um, with some of the better teams in the wild card race. I then would put the Cubs uh, at the number three team right now. Um, followed by the Mets, followed by the Brewers, uh, and then I guess the Phillies I, I kind of put at the bottom of that, um, which right now the Diamondbacks are actually behind all of those teams, uh, the Phillies, Mets, Cubs, and Brewers. They are three and a half games back. But all of those teams, um, the, the Nats are three games up on the second spot, but the Brewers, Cubs, Mets, Phillies, and Diamondbacks all within three and a half games of each other. A lot of games left to be played. The Diamondbacks have a very light schedule. I think it's going to be very close. I just don't see the Brewers, you know – with the way their offense has been kind of inconsistent, 
Uh, they certainly have some really good players on this team. Keston Hura has been fantastic since coming up midseason uh, through 70 mm-hmm. games. He's hitting 301, has 16 homers on the year. He might make a push for 20 by the end of the season, uh, despite probably only playing you know 85 games or less. Um, you know, Mike Moustakis has been uh, pretty consistent for them. Yasmani Grandal, uh, who they also signed over the offseason, he's been excellent. You know, you have Ryan Braun, who who hits for decent power, only 18 homers on the season, but uh, you know, lots of lots of doubles can can go gap to gap. Uh, Eric Thames also adds some power. Like they've got a, a good lineup, you know, top to bottom. Uh, but Yelich mm-hmm. was just kind of the anchor. You know, he was the star of that team. You take away their best player. I mean, he he was the favorite to win the National League MVP. All he had to do was right. coast and finish the rest of the season. He had built up a bit of a gap in my mind between him and Cody Bellinger uh, for that spot because Cody Bellinger really has been declining. Uh, hasn't had a good past two months. Uh, still, you know, he got off to such a hot start that his numbers are already up there, uh, and, and he's still up, you know, in in line for the home run lead and everything. But at the end of the day, they're now going to have to go with some kind of combination of Ben Gamble and Trent Grisham, uh, neither of whom have really stood out at all this season. They have a combined 12 homers on the year. Grisham only has played 34 games, you know, to his credit. Gamble uh, just played game number 120 today. Um, but mm-hmm. neither of them uh, have really stood out. You know, OPS 790 for Grisham, 721 for Gamble entering play on Thursday. Uh, you yeah. know, it, it's just it's creating a hole suddenly where you were getting a ton of your production. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if, if they had Yelich hitting third or fourth in the lineup. I'm pretty sure he hit third. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. losing your number three hitter like that is huge out for the season. You know, it's just a big blow for the team, especially when they've been playing so well. You you have all this confidence, and that really knocks you back. Now, they, they've won two straight games with them out, to their credit. Um, but, you know, they're playing the Marlins right now, so I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, right. pat them on the back uh, into the sunset. But... Uh, you know the the pitching just hasn't hasn't been great all season. They don't have anyone you can consider an ace. I mean, honestly, their best pitcher probably right now is Zach Davies, uh, Gio Gonzalez. You know those two guys. I mean, nobody yeah. <laughs> that I'm really you know writing home about how great they are. Jordan Lyles uh, has had a pretty good stretch here. He's he's pitched eight games with a two five one ERA. Um, you know Drew Pomeranz now coming out of the bullpen hasn't been adding anything in the. The rotation, Jimmy Nelson, who they thought they were going to add midseason, uh, coming off of injury, he hasn't been pitching as expected. Has only made six uh, appearances, three starts. So you know they don't have the depth, I think, to to really rack up the wins uh, like some of these other teams do in the rotation and the bullpen. You know they they are already out uh, without their closer. Uh, yeah, Corey Nebel is out for the year. They're rolling. Nebel. I think it's Nebel. Is it Nebel? Is it? You know, uh, dude, I don't know. You honestly I've might just be been... right. To be honest, I have no no idea, but. They're rolling with Josh Hader as their closer, who they kind of used him in that Andrew Miller type role where he was uh, kind of the guy who, if the best yeah. top three hitters in the lineup were coming up in the seventh inning, he would pitch the seventh inning uh, to get you through the heart of the order and let you know the rest of your bullpen fin- uh, close things out. And instead, you've had guys like Junior Guerra, Matt Albers, Alex Claudio, who had to really fill in in, in some of those situations that they might not have had to do in years past, um, which you know Junior Guerra has, has been solid to his credit. Um, but you know, that fit before six, six, not exactly, um, you know, indicative of good performance moving forward. So with the number of teams that are involved in the wild card race, I, I think that, you know, you do have to be worried about the Brewers moving forward, even if they have been playing well lately. Yeah. yeah you know, it's definitely an uphill battle and it doesn't seem like until next Monday that they're going to get Keston Hura back, uh, who was on mm-hmm. the 10 day IL from a hamstring strain. So he'll be back eventually. Um, you know, we've already talked about the injury to Nebel or Nebel. We'll figure out how you say it for the next time. But, um, 
You know, the, let me ask you this too. Um, it's and, and oh this god, wait, it's Canable. Oh, it's Canable. Yeah, we're both Ugh, wrong. I hate that. I don't even want to call him that. We're, we're just. I'm gonna call him Corey. For Corey. Uh, just, just Corey. Just Corey. Right, what's up, Corey? Um, so I, I want to ask you this: if if say the Brewers were to miss this season, uh, but Yelich still put up numbers, if they're if the Brewers were to miss the playoffs, would he still have won MVP? Oh yeah, I mean you know we've seen a couple of times now. Trout has won right. MVP. Well, Trout, uh, yeah, Harper Jesus. won it in 2015 without the team uh, making it to the postseason. Um, you know, the, there's definitely recent history there. It, I don't really think. I, I think it it matters when it's neck and neck. Uh, you know, you'll right. get voters who will lean toward the guy on the contending okay. team. But when, you know, Yelich had built up a little bit of a distance between himself uh, and the rest of the field, in my opinion, I think some people still were looking at Bellinger um, and the dark horses of guys like Quetzal Marte and, and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Anthony Rendon, um, you know, they they kind of looked at them as threats, but I think Yelich was still the favorite. It's hard to win back-to-back right. MVPs. You do have to have, be that overwhelming, you know, guy in, in that second year in order to do it. You know, we've seen that in the NBA. Uh, it's very hard to win back-to-back, even if your numbers, like we saw uh, Russell Westbrook win yeah, MVP um, yeah. going that triple-double over the season, and that was the big storyline, that he averaged triple-double the entire season, and that was the driving factor behind the fact that he won MVP. Then he went out and did it again right. the next year, um, but it just didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> it just it didn't happen. So, right. you know, uh, I think that Yelich had built up that that little bit of distance. But now, I think honestly, with the way that we're, we've been seeing Bellinger trend uh, this season, I think not just the implications on the the Brewers are important, but the implications on uh, the rest of the NL MVP race are, are pretty significant. Yeah. I think they're like Anthony Rendon uh, over the past 30 days has the highest OPS in baseball. Uh, he has really raised his stock. And, you know, if you look at the past three months in July, we saw Bellinger with a 952 OPS. Uh, in, in August, we saw him with a 918. Um, keep in mind in, in April, he had a 1.397 OPS, uh, an absolutely insane start to the season, 14 home runs, 37 RBIs in the month. Uh, absolutely insane. This uh, So far in September, he's played nine games, uh, entering play Thursday, 765 OPS. So not exactly doing anything to help himself here. He's hitting 219 right. over that stretch. His batting average has gone down every single month of the season, um, starting at 431 uh, in that April, now down to 219 here in September. So uh, just uh, it hasn't been uh, that impressive, sustained um, play. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of these voters have uh, recent, you know, are, are clouded by bias of recent memory. Uh, and if they aren't seeing Bellinger, you know, tear the cover off the ball toward the end of the season when the, the, the wins all season mean the same amount, but they just have greater implications in September because you're only have so many games left and you need to win these games in order to stay relevant in the playoffs. Obviously, the Dodgers are going to be winning the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, the Nats are, are trying to keep, maintain distance in the National League wildcard race. A lot of people have yeah. their eyes on that team right now because, you know, they, if they do fall off a little bit, which they, they have lost, I think, two of their last five games before last night, they, they did beat the Twins. Um, you know, they, they haven't been playing well as of late. That's opening the door for a team like the Cubs or the Brewers or the Mets to, to make a run. And so all these teams are, are looking to them to slip. Uh, and, you know, that puts a spotlight on him. And if Anthony Rendon comes up clutch with a late-inning home run and he does that enough times, you know, that will stick in the mind of some voters. So I don't think this is now a done deal for Bellinger to win the MVP. Uh, he certainly has uh, fantastic numbers on the season. He is deserving. Um, but 
he doesn't lead the league in any major statistical category other than intentional walks, uh, the National League. Mm. Uh, so, you know, at that point, you know, Anthony Rendon is currently in line to win the batting title, uh, which a lot of voters still believe that, you know, batting average is a significant yeah. stat. Um, he's also up there among the league leaders. In fact, he leads the National League in, in doubles. He has 41 doubles this season. So, you know, that those two stats right there, he, he's topping Bellinger. You know, obviously only 32 home runs, which Bellinger is sitting at 44 on the year. Uh, so certainly he's going to have the edge in that category. But, you know, Rendon hasn't had as many strikeouts. And then you have a guy like Acuna, who's stole 30 bases and hit 30 home runs. Uh, you know, that's a pretty rare feat in and of itself and plays fantastic defense. Now, Bellinger's going to win a gold glove. Uh, don't. You know, there, there's no knock on his defense there, but uh, Acuna, center fielder, plays a premier defensive position. Uh, you know, the spotlight mm-hmm. is on him defensively a lot more. Uh, I could see him, you know, garnering some votes as well. So I think it, the NL MVP race is a lot more wide open than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's definitely some names to throw in there, like you were saying. And, and you know, unfortunately, we won't see Yelich probably up there. I mean, he'll still get, uh, you know, you know, you know, those later place votes. Um, you know, switching back to the Brewers for one last thing, it just seems like um, the only thing that they can really hope for at this period is kind of what we saw in the NFL with the Eagles a couple of years ago, where, you know, we say one player isn't as big as the team. You know, through 12 weeks, Carson Wentz was the MVP of the league. He goes down, misses the rest of the season, and the Eagles just say, okay, we know we're a good team. We're not just centered around one guy, and so we're going to go through and ride this wave of momentum, you know, building and rallying around the injury. Um, you know, one thing that I loved watching is, is Ryan Braun wearing Yelich's jersey under his own. I, I just think that that's a, a, a fun <laughs> little thing. And then Braun, you know, went deep uh, in today's game that they had against the Marlins. So, you know, fun momentum stuff like that. Uh, and like we say, you know, they are on a win streak, but it is against the Marlins. So who knows when they get into some more difficult competition as the season finishes. I, you know, I wouldn't say it's completely over, but I certainly don't like their odds, just as you were saying. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of baseball left to be played, man. And, you know, we see yeah. we see a guy like Acuna, you know, hit a few more home runs, steal a few more bases, get closer to that 40-40 mark, which as of right now he's at 38 homers and 34 stolen bases, certainly still in play. Um, you know, a 40-40 season is pretty rare. Now, he does lead the league in strikeouts, uh, and that will go against him, but he also leads the league in runs this season. Uh, so, you know, he's been up there in a lot of categories. A, a guy who's a popular name, he won Rookie of the Year last year, certainly favorable in the eye of voters. And at 21 years old, the fact that he's doing this at um, you know this age is, is pretty incredible. So, yeah, moving forward, I'm worried about the Brewers, and I'm worried about uh, Cody Bellinger's MVP chances because neither of those things are set in stone. Uh, I know the Brewers have been playing well. I certainly think that they are, have a, gr- a good offense. Uh, has been inconsistent, I will say, but you know, overall, a lot of good names in there, a lot of uh, fantastic seasons that those guys have had, but without that anchor, I just don't see them you know, being able to, to finish this run. Definitely. So now we're going to get back to our lovely old football. Uh, as as you know, we record these episodes uh, a night before they come out. So unfortunately, uh, we will not be including the Panthers and Buccaneers in this. But we're going to get into some of our favorite bets for week two. And kind of like we broke uh, this last week's segment, we broke it into four little picks. We are going to go with our lock of the week, which Matt, I know uh, I know we say lock and then we just set ourselves up for humiliation the following episode. Yes. but. We are going to give our, our lock of the week. Then we're also going to provide a game or a bet that we are just 100% avoiding. Do not bet. Stay away. It's a trap. 
Uh, then we're going to go into a little player prop, see if there's a fun player out there that we would like to look at their yardage total, touchdowns, how many touches they get. And then we're going to go in with a little crafty parlay that we like, mm. just something that we think might have a good chance of winning. And, and then, you know, this will be something that we do every Thursday. Um, so let, let's just dive right into it, Matt. There are a lot of fun games this week. Um, this this part of the year is also extremely tough to bet on a lot of teams, it really too. Is, so. Man. So, so calling, you know, we, we don't really un- have a good understanding, I would say, about NFL teams until, I would say, after the first month. If we get to weeks three and four, we have a good idea. But some teams, it, it probably even takes until, you know, week six, seven, until we figure out who they are. And that makes, you know, those last, those middle weeks of the NFL season really juicy to bet on. But, Matt, week two, we got to put out a lock. So, so what is your lock of the week? My lock of the week, as I told you, Blake, uh, and we're going yes, with the spread uh, right here. So... Keep that in mind. I'm taking the Browns at minus seven over the Jets uh, with the news that several players um, probably won't be playing. The number one out there, of course, Sam Darnold, quarterback, announced today he has mono, uh, could be missing multiple weeks. They're going to be going with Trevor Simeon, uh, who we last saw with the Broncos. Was that his last? Yes. Yes. Okay, so... Yeah, it does not exactly inspire confidence. Uh, Le'Veon Bell was out, held out of practice today and is getting an MRI on his shoulder. I haven't seen anything since that. Is there any? It is. Uh, yeah, there's new update. It's all clean. It was just more of a precautionary okay, check. Okay. Are we are we sure if he's going to play? Yeah, yeah, he'll be playing. He'll be playing. Okay, but you know he's cautious on that shoulder. You had Quinn and Williams, their their rookie defensive lineman, uh, number yep. two pick, number three pick, number three pick, uh, not practicing today with an ankle injury. You had C.J. Mosley also didn't practice with a groin injury. Quincy Anunwa, wide receiver, uh, placed on IR. Uh, thanks to Field Yates for his tweet from earlier this afternoon. While I was in court for a story uh, that popped up on my phone, um, let let me know about all of this stuff. Um, I'm I just am not confident in the Jets just as a team, even with all of their stars. Um, I, we've talked at length about how the players they've really invested in aren't at premium positions, and I think they're going to struggle in important areas such as the offensive line, such as the secondary. Uh, in in play, places that you would like to see them invest more money, uh, they instead go with guys at the running back position or guys at middle linebacker. Uh, not to say that Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley aren't fantastic players, but, uh, you know, if we are playing, seeing them, even if they do play, uh, come in without you know playing at full strength, I'm worried about them. You know, competing with a Browns team that just got embarrassed in Week One, man. And I, I'm I'm still believe in this roster. I, I think that you know they that team really needed uh, to kind of get its cockiness knocked down a bit uh, with how much they've been hyped up over the off season. Maybe not as drastic uh, as that game was. Um, you know, the only team that got beat by more points last week was the Dolphins. Dolphins, which is a pretty insane right. stat. Um, so I, I think the Browns are going to bounce back in week two with a huge performance on Monday Night Football. I'm taking them uh, minus seven over the Jets. Yeah, yeah, the momentum is totally carrying him that way, and, and I certainly agree. I actually am going to be using them in one of my bets later on. Uh, two things that I also want to get in before I give you my lock of the week. Uh, we are using Bovada, though. That's the site that me and Matt choose to place our bets on. That's who we like to give all of our money when we think that we know what we're talking about. Uh, so Bovada is, is where we're getting all of our lines from. And the other thing that I, I, I was just taking a look at now that I'm realizing it through Bovada is we actually don't have specific player props yet um, uh, on the Sunday games and Monday games. Uh, they're only out there for the Thursday night as of now, so those will be updated in a few days. But I still um, I, I have a prop bet 
uh, that I will be taking. Matt, if you don't for this week, we can figure out for next week. But it doesn't seem uh, that they're on Bovada right now. But I'm going to give you my lock of the week. And, and this is one uh, that I, I saw the, you know, I, I go through when I predict my games for, for the week. And I'll put those predictions up on social media. You'll probably see them uh, when, you know, by the time that this podcast comes out. And then I take a look at what the spreads are. And that's how I kind of figure out my bets. So when I saw that the Jacksonville Jaguars were almost double-digit underdogs, I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, Jacksonville uh, definitely, you know, not having Nick Foles under center. Uh, and also playing, you know, um, after getting gassed by the Kansas City Chiefs in week one, I was absolutely shocked to see, however, that they were, uh, you know, nine and a half point underdogs. And, and to think that the Texans, who, yes, had a very exciting game against the New Orleans Saints, and yes, maybe a few calls go their way and they actually beat the New Orleans Saints, but it was the Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins show. No one else was really exciting out there. You had a few good runs from Carlos Hyde, but aside from that, uh, there was no performance out there, and I guess the big reason that you that the the that Vegas has them as such high favorites is is because Garner Minshew versus the Houston defense. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you saw it, but on Monday Night Football, J.J. Watt was held without a tackle for the first time in his entire career, and and so um, they also don't have Jadavion Clowney. The Jaguars' defense is very well built. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a game that, at the very least. Jacksonville can keep close. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, when I went ahead and picked this game, I did pick the Jacksonville Jaguars to win. So if you even want to take a look at that savory money line and let me take a look what it is right now, it's plus 325. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are not an 0-2 team, whether it's Garner Minshew or Nick Foles. Uh, you could even bring in their, their third-string uh, quarterback who they traded for Joshua Dobbs in there. I just don't think that this is a Jacksonville Jaguars team that could lose by nine points. And actually, since I made my, you know, <laughs> since I wrote it down, it's already gone down half a point. Now Jacksonville is a nine-point underdog, so I guess Vegas is agreeing me with me a little bit. But getting the Jags plus nine points, I think, is one of the pure, pure locks of Week 2. Yeah, uh, I don't hate the pick, gotta say. Um, you know, the Jags... Um, I actually I'm doing a, a weekly pick'em league um, where this season it's you can pick one team each week that has to win. You, you only get, you get one pick each week, uh, but once you pick a team, you can't use them the rest of the year, uh, and you can only pick against the same team three times all year. So uh, some interesting wrinkles to it. Uh, it's being monitored in an Excel sheet, so it's very uh, <laughs> robust. But um, my team this week, I, I picked the Ravens last week um, over the Dolphins. Just wanted to get off to a good start uh, without a team like in the, you know that top four echelon um, of powerhouses that have been established. I went with the Ravens, but this week I'm going with the. Texans. Uh, I think that uh, with Garner Menchu, you know, running the show, I, he did impress me uh, in, in some plays. He looks really he good. He did, but you know, as far as the Jackson, as the Jaguars go, uh, I just don't think that they're a lock uh, to win that game. I think that the Texans they played the Saints really well. Um, you know, and, and the Saints look to be a team that you know I have them in the Super Bowl. You have them in the NFC Championship game. Uh, we both are very high. No, on them. I have them losing in the first oh, round. Oh crap! Of the Never mind. I hate. But I do have them in the playoffs. You have them in the playoffs. Yeah, no. Yeah, I hate, forgot about that. Um, but yeah. you know, I, I think I think the Texans are, are still a good team, uh, even if Bill O'Brien had uh, some of those mistakes you mentioned in our last episode. But um, yeah, I like yeah. the pick. Yeah, I just think that nine points is too much for a divisional matchup in week two, where you know we still don't know a bunch about these teams. And I really do think at the end of the season, the way I had their years pay, uh, playing out, I had the Texans finishing six and ten, and I had the Jaguars finishing ten and six. And, and what I saw from Garner Minshew uh, against a, a good. 
Kansas City secondary. Kansas City secondary is well structured now that they've shuffled in some new pieces back there. Uh, I think they'll be able to hold it up well and at the very least lose by a, a margin of three to six. So nine was a little too much for me. Now, Matt, we're going to switch to a game that we won't be betting on, and we could say that there are a ton of games on this list that we can't bet on. Uh, I know that there's at least five or six that I won't even be touching uh, come Sunday, but the one that sticks out for you the most, if you had to bet on every single game except one, what is the game that you are completely avoiding? The one game that I am completely avoiding, uh, I have to find it, where'd it go? Uh, and it, it's it's going to be happening in Pittsburgh. Uh, the Seahawks on the road yeah. against the Steelers after the Steelers were just embarrassed. In Bovada's odds, the Steelers are favored by four. Uh, and I just, I don't know, I think that's not even close enough, to, uh, to be honest. But the way, the way these two teams are at, I know the Seahawks uh, played a very close game against the Bengals, who are not expected to be uh, a powerhouse contending team this season. Um, but the Seahawks and Pete Carroll, I can just never count them out. Uh, and Russell Wilson has, is a fantastic quarterback, uh, has been for a long time. Um, I, I think the Seahawks have the chance to go on the road and beat the Steelers uh, in this game. Certainly the Steelers, you know, they just had a lot of question marks on the offensive side. I mean, obviously they only scored three points and it was against a very stout uh, New England defense. But, you know, the, the, the Steelers, we talked about this last episode, but who's going to be that number two wide receiver? I don't know. James Conner didn't exactly have an, a great performance. Uh, we saw a lot of the, the def- defensive side absolutely burned uh, on multiple occasions. I, I just think that this is a Seahawks team very capable uh, of establishing the run um, with that, that running back duo of Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, uh, which I very much like. Uh, I'm a big fan of Chris Carson. Not so much Rashad Penny, but I think he you know, changes the pace enough where uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with them rolling him out as their number two in that kind of committee um, where uh, I see the Seahawks going on the road and beating this team. See, yeah, so that, that was on my list of games that I'm not going to bet on, and I actually picked the Steelers to win that game. Um, I, I can't see Pittsburgh in their home opener going 0-2 to start the season. I still think that they're the third or fourth best team in the AFC. I just think that that game really showed how far ahead the Patriots are over everybody else. Uh, and also, fun fact for you, I was looking this up, Pete Carroll is very good in his opening month at home, but his entire professional career, he is 3-13 and on the road in the month of September. And so going up against a tough Pittsburgh team, um, I just don't want to bet on that game because we didn't really learn that much about either team in their first games. We didn't get to see what Pittsburgh's you know, run defense looks like because the Patriots are just throwing the ball. We really didn't get to see their offense get intact because the Patriots have the best secondary. You know, Seattle, what did we really learn besides that, you know, Andy Dalton threw for 400 yards on their secondary? So I completely agree. I'm avoiding that game too. But the game that I went with instead uh, is taking place in Denver, and that is the Chicago Bears traveling to play the Broncos. And the, the reason I'm staying away from this game is because like that last game that you were saying with the, the Steelers and Seahawks, we didn't learn that much about these two teams. They both, you know, underperformed in their week one uh, finishes. They both walked away with losses. You know, the Bears losing to the Packers and, and the Raiders really stunning that Broncos defense. Um, I, this is a game that I want to completely avoid. Right now, the Bears are three-point favorites, which if you take into account that they're the road team, if they were playing at home, uh, that would be a six-point spread. So, so they're considering, uh, you know, the Bears you know, being a road favorite, but the home dog in September really does play a role there too. You also got Fick Fangio playing against his former team where he was the defensive coordinator uh, for the Chicago Bears. Um, so, you know, you got to take that into consideration too. He's going to want to pull out all the stops to, to shut down the offense that, you know, Chicago really didn't look too good in week one. Um, there are a ton of things. I don't trust either quarterback. I don't trust Joe Flacco or Mitch Trubisky. 
I think they've got nice talent around them. I think both defenses are extremely great. But in terms of, of picking the spread on either of these teams, uh, I just I couldn't do it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not super high on the Bears this season. I do think they're at minus three when I'm looking at Ambabata right now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I yeah, uh, Did I say? No, no, you said it. I was just... I was just okay. double checking that we had the same thing, but um, uh, you know, I, I I would take. I feel like I'd take it. Um, you know, the Broncos just did not have a great showing against the Raiders last week. Uh, was not super impressed with them on either side of the ball. I really thought that front seven was going to make life a lot more difficult for Derek Carr, and it didn't. A uh, little bit concerned on, on that front. Obviously, week one, not trying to overreact to anything, but um, you know, the Bears at minus three. It's a modest line. I feel like. I feel like I, I wouldn't stay away from it necessarily, but I understand where you're no. coming from, Vic Fangio, uh, wanting that revenge. Uh, that's definitely a big factor. He certainly knows the Bears' uh, personnel as well as anybody. Um, so, yeah. you know, if anyone can game plan against them, it's going to be him. Well, and certainly because the Chicago Bears' offense looked horrendous against the Green Bay defense, and the Broncos' defense is more talented than Green Bay's. And it's, you know, it's got a better coordinator, too. The Packers did a lot to their defense, and I think that they are a great team. I've got them in the Super Bowl out of the NFC. But I, I just think right now the personnel on Denver's defense, uh, after they got humiliated by Oakland in week one, they don't have to travel. The Bears are coming to Denver, uh, you, you know, and just being a home dog, that, that's, that's, that's a normal bet in the, in the NFL. If you're a home underdog uh, in the first month, I usually side with you. But this game, three points is too much uh, for me to take. Uh, I would be interested in the under, or in the um, over-under. It's at 40 and a half right now. I'd be interested in taking the under. I could see a low-scoring affair where, you know, Joe Flacco can't get anything going and neither can Mitch. I don't trust those quarterbacks. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think that that's a game that you couldn't pay me any sort of money <laughs> to, to put on there. So we're going to move on now, Matt. Uh, we're going to take a look at player props. I know that we don't have actual numbers on there, but is there a player that – you think, or, or a, you know, a, a, an offensive statistic or something that you would hammer on Sunday when we can make these bets? Uh, my, I guess, player, if I, so I'm going with an anytime score. Um, gotcha. It seems to be, that, that those are my favorite uh, player props to go with. And yeah, like you said, I don't see any numbers up here. So uh, when right. I look through the rosters, I think the, the, the spot that turns that uh, stands out to me Keenan Allen uh, with uh, the Chargers. I don't know what the line is going to be on him just yet, but going against uh, this Detroit Lions defense that did not exactly impress. It got, got torn apart in the fourth quarter, uh, made no adjustments against the Cardinals, um, and we saw Kyler Murray do some very, very bad things to it. Um, plus, we have the Chargers without Hunter Henry, uh, who will mm -hmm. be out uh, a couple of weeks um, they now are going to be turning to Keenan Allen as being that number one red zone target. Uh, and I think that he becomes yeah. the most obvious candidate uh, for Phillip Rivers to look downfield if he's not going to be dumping it off to Austin Eckler, which certainly will be happening a lot. Uh, I, I definitely right. see Keenan Allen being the guy that he's looking at uh, finding the end zone. So probably won't be the greatest odds in the world, but any player prop is typically uh, you know decent odds uh, to score a touchdown. I can't imagine it's any, you know, worse than, you know, minus 100, uh, if even mm -hmm. that. So uh, I would hammer Keenan Allen uh, as far as player props go. Yeah, and certainly I agree with you. Hunter Henry out, that takes away a red zone target. We're also not sure what Mike Williams exactly. is going to be. He's dealing with knee problems, and he's also that, you know, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six receiver mm -hmm. that is a huge end zone threat. Philip Rivers has a hard time trusting guys uh, that, you know, maybe are going to be bumped up into that starting lineup. And so... Uh, Keenan Allen is going to be his trusty steed throughout this entire game. You know, I, I would say receptions, yards, and, and any time touchdown score would be interesting, especially against 
um, you know, uh, a, a not so great secondary in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, my player bet, and I don't have a specific number to it, but it goes on with with your lock of the week. And whatever line comes out for Baker Mayfield's passing yards, I'm smashing the over button a million times. And, and I just you hate the Jets secondary, man. You really dude, do. It's, <laughs> it's it's the worst in the league. It's the worst in football. I it didn't I have a bad game fight. last week. I want you. It's. I want you to find me a worse secondary than that. And what do you mean they got explode, uh, exploded coverage? The, the only thing with that Bills game where they didn't play well is they passed too much and ran out of shotgun too much. I think if mm-hmm. they did more play action, I think the Bills played themselves in that game. Um, but the Jets secondary, I think the uh, other secondary in New York is, is up there as, as far as the worst go. But, oh, but hey, carry hey, on. I, I would I would put you up there in there too. It's they probably have the two worst secondaries in football. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Jets really don't have anyone that surprises me on there that stands out as a great guy. Tremaine Johnson got signed, paid a bunch of money to come in from Los Angeles. Is one of the worst graded corners all last season. Came back and, and really wasn't that great in week one either. The, the depth isn't there. I love their safety play. But corner-wise, I think that this is a Baker Mayfield show. You also talk about how their offense was awful. How Baker played awful uh, against a very tough Tennessee defense. Um, and so now you take that they, he's got a wide-open secondary. They're going to want to get the offense going. They, they really need to come out and make a statement because could you imagine if they barely, barely escaped the Jets or even lost to New York on Week 2? I mean, what, you know, your Super Bowl bet might as well be, you know, you know put a flames. You know, we could, we could light that one out in Week 2. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that this is an easy one for Baker to really take advantage of all of his weapons that he's got there. You've got Odell playing back in MetLife. You know, it's not against the Giants, but he'll be there in New York. I'm sure there will be a lot of fans booing him. He's got a ton of weapons to throw to. And, and I just, I, I really don't think that this Jets defense is all that great, especially in the secondary. I would hammer, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield passing yards. I would go over. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm picking the, the Browns in that game, too, uh, to, yeah. to win by over a touchdown, make it a two-score right. game. so you would assume. I would assume, you know, I, I just think that they're in for such a bounce-back game. They really got humbled in that in that first week at Baker Mayfield. I mean, God, those three interceptions were ugly. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and with how we saw him play in the second half, I really don't think that that's, that is who Baker Mayfield is. Uh, I'm no. expecting him to have a fantastic game against, like you said, a very weak Jet secondary. Yeah, definitely. And so our last topic now, and we didn't really set any parameters for this, yeah. so I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> to see, and maybe if this goes off the rails, we can actually set some standards for what we actually want to make as a as a parlay bet. But Matt, let's get weird. Let, let me hear your parlay. How are these? How are our listeners going to you know bet on a few games here or a few props and, and come away with a decent payout? Um, all right, so I'm just going to go with three games and the spreads. Uh, okay. And we'll we'll go with the odds from there. Um, if I'm going with a parlay, uh, I'm not, I don't like to to go with uh, any any um, point totals that are in the double digits because you know those are just those are tough to um, predict. Uh, you know, like for example, the Ravens. While you might think that the Ravens are a much better team than the Cardinals, taking them at minus thirteen in a parlay when you have uh, yeah. you know that much money on the line, one, it's going to be pretty bad odds. Uh, but two, um, I, I just it's it doesn't happen as often as you think uh, in those double digits with plus you know like a team like the Cardinals I think that could at least keep it close after what we saw in the fourth quarter albeit against the Lions but you know uh, moving on however I, I'm going with three games uh, that are all keeping it pretty close I'll go in reverse order from the distance of the spread so the the biggest spread uh, that I'm picking right now uh, the Chiefs over the Raiders it's seven and a half. Um, which I think is a steal. 
um, with the difference between these two teams uh, in t- overall talent, even without Tyreek Hill playing for the Chiefs, uh, Patrick Mahomes is is going to win this game uh, by multiple scores. That line is even right now. Hammer that right this very second. Uh, take mm-hmm. that. I'm going with the Bills over the Jets at minus one and a half. I mean, sorry, the Giants. Bills over the Giants at minus one and a half right now. Uh, I, I think the Bills... Uh, obviously, against the Jets last week, had a, a great comeback. Uh, I, I think that they're a much better team than the Giants. We, the Giants, just to me, have so many problems. They have Saquon, but at the end of the day, a running back is not going to keep things close at a team that I think is uh, just a little bit better. So I'm going with the Bills there. And then the Chargers-Lions. Uh, Chargers are a favorite at minus three, uh, and that's at plus 120. Uh, so if you put those three together, uh, if you were to put $10 on that parlay, you win 74 bucks. Um, you know, that's a, a pretty so good plus, bet. Plus, yeah. yeah, what is that? Seven, 740? Plus 740. 740, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, not otherworldly odds. You know, you, you can definitely get some parlays in there that'll, you know, be plus over a 1,000. Um, this is a bit of a more of a modest parlay, but I think it's one that uh, has very good odds of landing. So I feel good about it. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you on that one. I, I, I like all three of those picks. And, you know, I actually have one of them in there too. So I'm going to start with that. What I did for my parlay is I did one spread – uh, one money line and then an over-under that I thought was nice. And so my spread, uh, I did go with 7.5 on the Chiefs. I think getting that at even right now is great. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is this opened up as a 9-point favorite on Tuesday, but it's been shrinking a little bit, so people have been putting uh, some decent money uh, on the Raiders, it seems like. <laughs> and so now, um, you know, you, the Vegas has now had to drop down their bets and bring that number down to 7.5. So I'm taking that uh, for mine. Um, for my money line, you know, there are some good ones out there. I truly do believe that the Jaguars uh, um, are going to beat the Houston Texans, but for the sake of of getting something a little more reasonable for people to feel comfortable going on there, I'm staying away from that one. Um, it, you know, if it went down to it, I think that getting, um, uh, you know, I think that getting, God, now there's two that I'm choosing between, uh, which certainly makes things a little bit more difficult. I am going to go, you know, I, Getting the Bills at minus 125, and and like you said, you know you, you're getting them um, to win by one and a half, so they got to win by two for your bet, as you're saying at minus 110. Uh, their money line to win is at minus 125. I you know I don't think this is a, a losable game for the for the the Bills. I think that they're uh, you know the strength of their defense in that front seven will you know break through that offensive line. The Giants probably will give Saquon Barkley the ball more than 11 times, so it'll be interesting to see how the linebackers uh, in Buffalo adjust to playing such a, a terrific back. Uh, you know, they did seem to you know miss a few times on Le'Veon Bell, but overall, I feel like they were able to you know do their part against him. Um, but I do think that the Bills at minus 125 is a good one to take. And then for my over under, I'm actually going with an under which I know life is too short to bet the under, uh, but I'm taking a look at Sunday night football. And, you know, to me, the Eagles and the Falcons, I can't see combining for 53 or more points. Uh, Atlanta's offense did not look its part, um, you know, you know, at all, uh, you know, that offensive line. And then they lose uh, Chris Lindstrom, their first round pick for the entire season, who is now going to not be there uh, after they really went hard to invest on the offensive line in that draft class. Uh, and then, you know, for the Eagles, I definitely think that they can put up some decent points on this defense. You know, we talked about how the, the cover three defense is going to be a thing of the past probably by the end of this year. Uh, unless Dan Quinn switches things up, um, you know, the, the Eagles will certainly be able to put up their points. But I think that this Eagles defense is good. I know they lost Malik Jackson. Uh, but um, I, I'm taking the under uh, on 52.5. And, and just to get the odds in there, if you bet 10 bucks on that, it's not as 
fun his match. It doesn't pay out as well. Mine pays out to, to $58.73 if you were to bet 10. Uh, but so that is the Chiefs uh, minus 7.5 at even odds. The Bills minus 125 to win the game. And then the Eagles, Falcons, uh, minus 110, under 52.5 Well, points. why don't you just take the Bills at minus 1.5? I mean, at that point, you get slightly better odds instead of money. It, it was... It was because of the way that I, I did my parlay. I did it through one spread, one money. Oh, uh, okay. You and, know, and, and maybe I should have done that. We had no parameters, like you said. So yeah, we did. No, they, uh, we can figure out parameters for the next time. But we both put in parlays that are fun. Okay. Yeah. Well, take our two bets, and you'll win a combined $135, something like that. So Something hey, around there. There you go. We just made you $135. I like it. <laughs> so yeah, Matt, it's going to be an exciting week two of the season. Uh, you know, we're excited for Thursday night football to start. You all know what the outcome is. Reek, you know what? This will be fun, Matt. So everyone can know on Friday morning. Uh, give me a prediction for this game. Final score. What do you think? Off the top of your head. Final Panthers, score, Buccaneers. Panthers, Bucks. Oh man, I'm going to go with Panthers twenty four, Bucks thirteen. Alrighty, so that would cover the spread that they're at right now. I am going to go. With Panthers 31, Ooh. Buccaneers 17. All right, who's going off for the also Panthers cover their spread. I mean, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, how many touchdowns are you scoring? Uh, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you three total touchdowns. Three total touchdowns. It's a ballsy pick. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you two rushing, one receiving. All right. All right. I think I like if there that. was a player pop right now. Total touchdowns. McCaffrey two and a half. Blake would be hammering uh, that over. I, I, I would definitely take that. I feel like that would be fun. Actually, no, I wouldn't be betting that. I don't. I don't like betting on Thursday night games either. That's why we we've got this nice setup where we don't have to. Exactly. But but, uh, but yeah, so this will be fun to look at tomorrow if you're listening and you know both of us are wrong and the Buccaneers just you know Jameis Winston had the game of his career and threw more touchdowns to his own team than to the opposing defense. Um, but. You know, that's going to wrap things up for our episode. It was nice to cover all three sports again. And, and you know, in a few weeks' time, we'll be getting back into to basketball more regularly with the season starting. We'll, of course, try and put out some, some early season predictions as we get closer to the season. Uh, of course, baseball is heating right up just a couple more weeks until we get into the postseason. And, Matt, let me tell you, the Yankees are hot and they're getting healthy. Uh, Luis Severino is making his first start next week. And by the end of next week, they're expecting Batances, uh, Stanton, and Montgomery all back in the lineup. So perfect time for the Yankees. Aaron Judge is hot. Um, So we've got baseball that's exciting. Week two of the football season. See how many things we could... uh, We got wrong, what we predicted wrong tonight. But uh, Matt, before we head out, is there anything else you want to say? Oh yeah, the the Yankees are in danger of losing in the ninth, so you better turn on that game. Uh, What's the score? It's 6-4 right now. It was 6-3. Canley came in, gave up uh, a run, and now they've got Chapman in, so we'll see if he can... uh, lock things down but oh they've given up two they runs will. in the ninth so uh we'll see yeah, they're fine. we'll see but uh yeah the I'm, I'm just pumped the nats game is delayed right now so uh, hopefully that game starts at the same time that um the thursday night football game starts which is in like two minutes so i can turn on both games at once relax and enjoy my thursday night so we will see yeah of course and as always make sure to to leave a like and, and subscribe uh, to the podcast. Uh, we appreciate all of your support for listening. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, Matt is at Matt Weirich FBB, talking all things NFL, baseball, nationals, uh, of course, writing for Federal Baseball. You can find me at Blake Andrew Pace, covering the Indianapolis Colts, uh, some league-wide NFL news, and then Syracuse College Football as well. They host number one overall Clemson on Saturday night. Uh, you can watch that on ABC, so that'll be a fun one to watch Syracuse get their asses kicked. Uh, but 
Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you next Wednesday with our, uh, I guess, our, our stock watch again with the NFL and some other interesting topics. But thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week.